Hello and welcome to Malavision, the podcast that gives you the vision and the voice to be heard. Hello, good morning, good afternoon and good evening and you're with Malavision, the podcast that gives you the voice and the vision to be heard. And this week I'm joined by Paul Madden, Care Director for Hospice in the World. So Paul, could you start by telling me a little bit about you? Hi Malachi and thanks for inviting me and the hospice to be part of Malavision. Um, so as you said, my name is Paul Madden, I'm the Care Director here at the hospice. Um, so my job is looking after um, a number of our six services. So I look after four of those. So I look after our inpatient ward here at Pembrey. Uh, we also have another uh, ward, uh, the Cottage Hospice, which is just across the border in East Sussex in, in Five Ashes. I also look after our counselling and support service, as well as our living well service here within the Pembrey building. Um, so I've been here in the hospice for it'll be six years this year. Um, my training and um, background is I'm a trained counsellor and psychotherapist and um, I, as you can tell from my accent, um, I'm Irish. Uh, I moved to the UK about 15 years ago um, and yeah, that's, that's a bit about me. Your aim in life is to get people talking about death sooner than people do. Yeah. What, why is that? Um, I, it sounds like a really morbid thing to say, and uh, people think I think about death all of the time. But I suppose um, from from working at the hospice, and actually even before that, um, I think it's really important to have have conversations about lots of different things, um, but certainly around death and dying, because it is part of life. It is something that we are going to be touched by. Eventually, we will all die ourselves. But we will be visited and experience grief throughout our lives. And talking about it, A, doesn't make it happen more frequently. Talking about it normalises that life is part, the part of life is, is, is grieving different things. That can be uh, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling. Could also be grieving lots of different things uh, in our lives. You know, the job that we thought we were going to have, the life that we thought we were going to have. There are lots of things that, as humans throughout our life, we will have to um, deal with loss. So, particularly around death and dying, I think when we don't talk about it, it makes when uh, it makes it the, when it actually happens to us, it makes everything more difficult because we. For example, we didn't get to say the things that we wanted to say to that person who has died. We didn't get to do those things leading up to their death, um, things that we, uh, you know that we will live within. Oh, I wish I had done that. I wish I'd taken them to on that holiday or to that restaurant or to their favourite park. But also for the people who are left behind, not the fact that they, they haven't talked about what song they might want at their funeral, what, what they want to do with their ashes. It leaves all those really important things uh, people who are left behind guessing what that what that what the loved one might have happened, wanted, and there can be huge regret around that because they say, "Oh, I wish I had talked to them about what they wanted or what their life was like." And the, the thing that we're passionate about in the hospice when people come into uh, into our care is we have only one opportunity to get this right because somebody will only die once, and. So we take that really seriously. So we ask our patients and their loved ones, what's important to you? And we try to, 
to fulfill what's important to them uh, when they're here. So we want to pass that sort of knowledge of being in, within the community for over 40 years, trying to promote the conversation outside of the hospice so that people do have a better death and for those left behind, that they have had the opportunity to, like I say, ask those questions and know what their loved one would want. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And if people want to open up the conversation about death, how, what would be sort of your advice? How would you approach that conversation? I think it's going to be different for every every individual. But but I also, I think a good way to start, you know, people always say, you know, people say, who are, who are the three people you'd want to have dinner with? And they'll talk about all the famous people who've died. So there's those types of, and I think one of the good conversation starters are, you know, what, what song do you want at your funeral? And that can seem like a, quite a safe way to start. And then you sort of work backwards from that. But it, it depends on the situation. Um, but it's something like that. Or have you thought about, um, do you want to be buried or cremated? It's those types of conversations that seem quite sort of safe that can open up um, other aspects of that person and what they may want um, when it gets to the point where they will have to be looked after either by by family or a care home or indeed a hospital. So, so you mentioned just then, you know, about, you know, sort of what things you should talk about. But at what age would you say is a good sort of time to sort of bring it in? Well, that's a really good question. The, I suppose one of the things that, uh, you know, working in a hospice, you um, learn quickly is that nobody knows when our time is up. And... And, and so, it, you know, people can sometimes think that hospices are for old people. And in fact, you know, we have lots of patients who are who are parents themselves. So people who are in their 30s and 40s and we've had younger. So I think what we're trying to do is, is, is to normalise that type of conversation regardless of age. Um, and I th- But I think it needs to be appropriate because obviously it's not a conversation I'd want to be having with a five-year-old. Um, but I, I think, you know, um, it's something for us all to think about. Um, and it just depends on the relationship and who it is. I, like, the thing is, it's it's not an an, uh, an inappropriate conversation to have because it's it's a normal part of life. And if you think of all the, the Disney movies that you may have seen and I have seen, a lot of those movies, you know, deal with, with death. And actually some of the more recent ones uh, deal specifically about death, if you ever... Um, so, there, so I think it is all around us and it's, it's a normal part of life. It just depends on who, who, is, who you're having a conversation with. And do you regret not having a conversation with a particular person in your life? Oh, wow. You ask really good questions. I have been listening to a lot of your podcasts, Monica, and you do ask amazing questions. Um, no, I, I don't. Uh, people that I have um, that I have, I have I've died. I've died. I'm thinking of um, my grandparents or my aunties and uncles who have died. I think, I think I, they knew how much they meant to me. Um, we, you know, but uh, there's always a sadness around. There's never enough time. But that's 
that is the sort of the deal with life. There's no, um, you know, we will never get enough time, no matter. Um, but no, I don't think that I regret anyone who's, who who belonged to who has died that I didn't get to say anything that I needed to say. How is it when you know you have a patient and mm-hmm. they do sadly pass away and they weren't able because of how ill they were able to get the point across of what they wanted? I think that's I think that's really I can see that as a really difficult thing for for family members who are left behind because I think sadly. Um, when it comes to hospice care, people think about hospice as too late. Um, and they think about that we're only here for the sort of last weeks and, day, and days of life. And we're not, we, you know, um, the World Health Organization sees palliative care and end-of-life care as the last year of life. And that's where we as a hospice want to do more work with the community and, and inviting people to, to think about death and dying much sooner. Because... When we get to patients who are much uh, sicker and, and bedbound, is there their opportunity to, to maybe to go to places and do things is very limited, and there are times when patients come in and because of their the deterioration uh, become unresponsive, and that was that's really difficult for family members to to come into that situation and not be able to say anything. Now we encourage. Family members to be present and to still speak to the person, even though they're not responsive. Um, but that must be really difficult for for families um, to deal with. And do you have any stories where you've spoken to people about death and what you know what they want, and then actually there's been a massive turnaround and. They 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 suddenly go into remission. Um, not in my experience. I think you know that certainly there are patients who have been referred to the hospice, and you know, and some people can still be um, having treatment and going through various trials. Um, and there have been patients who have been have been cured, um, and uh, and that's fantastic news. But most of our patients are are people who eventually will will um will sadly pass away. How does the care team type of people cope mm-hmm. with seeing that? Because a lot of people will see the patient, you know, slip away. Yeah. How do you think that affects them? Has that ever happened to you? You know, you actually witness it in the moment. Yes, and, and if you can imagine, in, in, we've got 15 beds um, in our Pembury site and 10 beds at our five ashes site. So it's sort of death and dying is something that that we witness a lot of. And I think we have, I'm very lucky to work with incredible people from doctors, nurses, nursing assistants. We've got music therapists, um, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, chaplains. Um, they witness it certainly more than I do. Um, and I think you're certainly drawn to this work because um, it's very different to working in a hospital where people are you know, doing everything they can to, to cure people and to keep people alive. And here we're, we understand that patients have come to a stage where um, 
whatever disease they may have and all the treatments they've tried, that this is that death is is sort of is on the cards and it's quite soon. So they're incredibly skilled at welcoming uh, patients here, making them feel that this is this is a you know really warm and, and welcoming place, and for their families, uh, their children, and their pets if they want to bring their pets in. Um, but because they they witness that all the time, and I think they they don't, they don't get used to it. Um, I think they they take it very seriously, and there are times when the the patient might remind them of someone who belongs to them, or they might get a bit emotional because it's someone who's very young, um, and who and who's got children. They may identify uh, with that patient, and they can um, they might need extra care from their colleagues. We provide counselling for for the staff as well as um, supervision. Um, and we also um, this place is full of uh, cakes and biscuits, and we, you know, but um, the, and the team is very supportive. So I think um, while we do come across it every day, um, we support each other through it, and but we feel very privileged to be part of a, a very significant event in that patient's life and death, but also for the family as well. And we, you know, a lot of our, um, our family members. Uh, or sorry, family of patients see our sort of nurses and doctors as, as the angels because they can't believe that they do this all the time. Um, so it, it is great to be surrounded by people who um, are caring. When you were younger, did did you ever do you know? Did you ever have the thought of in a few years, you know, when I'm older, I'm going to work in hospice? Or absolutely not. It was never on on my cards. I, I always wanted to be a counselling psychotherapist. Um, uh, I, I wanted to sort of certainly help people. Uh, that was always my drive. I did, um, and um, I, I think I was a pretty good listener growing up. Uh, and I just thought I was really just uh, yeah. I always wanted to help people. So counselling and psychotherapy was something I always wanted to get into. Um, and so I, I trained to do that and then ended up working in a very different field. I worked in sexual health and HIV, so I worked in that for 15 years. And I, I came to the hospice because I wanted a change. I wanted a, a bit more, um, a different challenge. And I thought that having, having really difficult conversations around sexual health and HIV, which can be tricky for people to, uh, to talk about, I felt that I had sort of the, the general skills to have a, a different type of difficult conversation. Uh, so, and um, applying to be the head of counselling and support service initially here at Hospice of the Wales. So, yeah, so never thought I'd ever work in a hospice. Uh, but um, I think also um, because of I'm from Ireland, I think we Irish people see death and dying a bit more. Uh, openly and talk about it a bit more openly than I think people in the UK do. So I would have been to many wakes uh, when I was younger, you know, with my grandparents, and it was very common that uh, when they died, that they would be in their bed and we would stay with the body overnight and, and touch the body and kiss the body and talk to the body. Um, and we would stay up all night um, with it, and then we would bring it to the church and then do the burial. It would all happen quite quickly within three days. So I think um, that that sort of I think that that that, that sort of formed my sort of 
mind and, and feeling a bit more comfortable about coming to the hospice as well. But I do think there's something around the, the, the two um, areas, you know, um, sexual health and HIV, uh, difficult subjects, people don't want to talk about it, and death and dying, uh, people not wanting to talk about it. I felt there were sort of transferable skills there. Going, you know, back, you said that, you know, this isn't something, you know, you thought you'd be working in. And when you hear that, it sounds awful about, you know, you know, sort of the Irish culture about, you know, staying with the body overnight. So how was that, you know, as a as a teenager? Hmm. I think I think initially it's, it's, you know, I think it was the first time that happened. So it would have been my granny and, you know, like um, she was the best granny in the world and um, we were, um, we loved her dearly. Um, and I remember the first time seeing her when she had died and feeling, um, I, I didn't know what to expect really. Um, and then, you know, in Ireland, you know, lots of visitors would come to the house and they would people do you know, different things and pray. And but one of the things a lot of people would do would put, would put their hand on the dead person's sort of fans that were across their chest, usually with rosary beads. So I saw people doing that, and I thought, well, I'll do that. And I remember feeling, you know, it was you know, my crying was very cold, and that was a bit of a shock. But then, you know. The sort of the normality of it really sort of kicked in. So you know, people would come in and talk about her, um, and tell really nice stories. There would be lots of tears, but also lots of laughter, and people would come around with food. And it just, you know, there would be a couple of us maybe sitting on the bed, and other people sitting on chairs. And it felt really, it felt really warm and very. It became really normal really quickly, um, even though. It was sort of a, it was really sad, um, but it the community sort of came together, the family came together, and that sort of sharing of the grief and sharing of stories and hearing that thing was really, um, really lovely to sort of reaffirm my love for for my granny and that sort of collected um, feeling about her, and I think that sort of um, supported you know my mum and her and you know my other uncles. Uh, through that really difficult period of that that really short space of time from when she died to the time she was buried, um, and yeah, it, it it sort of it started to get uh, like normal, and then it happened. You know, my grandfather and then you know various uncles. There is there is a huge amount of joy in a really sad moment um, because yes, there were tears, but there was lots of really happy times of people come together and. And, and sharing sto- and sharing stories. That sort of leads me to my next question, which I'm sure I don't know if you've heard me ask other guests, but what would you tell your 12-year-old self if you could tell them anything? Um, so I will ask you, answer your question, but I, I don't know if you've heard the story. I love Anthony Hopkins. I love um, movies. And he has on his screensaver a picture of himself when he was a child. And he always looks at it and says, we've done all right, kid. And I think that's a really good story. And so if I was to be able to tell my 12-year-old self something, I would say everything will be okay. Just give it time. That's that's really powerful. That's really powerful. I think I think it's right that, you know, things, you know, do happen in our teenage years. And I think that does set us up for life. 
you know, at the time, it does, you know, really play a big part. But I do agree that it will be all right in the end. Um, yeah. And it will get better, you know, it, it's not bad forever. Um, yeah. But yeah, so thank you so much um, for obviously coming on today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Malachi, and you take care. Take care. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.